0: So let's go ahead and get
1: started.
0: Um, Maybe I'll make an announcement first and then we'll pray.
1: Yeah, you can join us if you want.
0: Um, So we're near our end. That's and so our next big topic, dovetailing with what we've it's, already done with Gospel Live, is going to be going through this book, uh, relatively relatively simple by J uh, Max uh, Unless you're doing a i doing crazy stuff read through it. And, uh, it's really, really simple, like it. you just got it. Uh, it's perfect. What we've been emphasizing in gospel life
1: is PowerPoint.
0: understanding being rooted in the gospel uh, of ourselves. It's a door monitor ourselves. setup. Obviously, not to the exclusion so of explaining the gospel of you know,
1: uh, others. There. Uh, but now that we've kind of gone through that, we've uh, drilled down deep um, into okay. a lot of the different
0: components of the gospel. Uh, now we, we want just to kind of shift and transition. Work on uh, we, uh, equipping ourselves to grow in a culture of evangelism, which is yeah, really
1: what is about.
0: So, I have uh, of I 45 of them, so uh, there's only 30 sitting right there. Um, yeah. So, there should be plenty um, for people. Uh, probably just picking up what you need for your family, so mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. Um, so, maybe if it's a couple, maybe take one. Uh, but uh, we should have plenty. So,
1: uh, along with They're that top of it, we just let give our reading if you're schedule. So the way here, this is going to work not be and I'll announce this again. So not right. super comfortable with but all the, the way controls this is going to work is you just be uh, this and do that. will read the section uh, ahead of time on the date indicated and
0: then we'll come and we'll discuss it together. And I'm not just going to repeat what the book said. Just, we're just going to talk about it. We're gonna. There's like
1: uh, uh, eight, eight faders here. If you've never it's go actually 32 because you've got the banks. One of
0: the things that you need to make sure to do is be an active reader in the sense that which then learning to up, subgroups. a lot of questions and in the market which base, then go the with the master going to together we're gonna talk about uh, it over the i had a day cheat
1: sheet for the uh, monitor yeah, somewhere so it's,
0: it's the, our time together will not just be a repeat of the book It'll be mulling over the ideas, thinking through it uh trying to even think about that.
1: So, uh, these are I've tried to keep all the different channels uh, in the end. It Monday,
0: shows in the, the corner on the screen what it is. You don't get to just get a free book and, oh, uh, yeah, I'm not going to show up. Uh, no, if you're thinking about your, your, your contracting with the, the church start. to say, uh, no, it's the not power that important. You yeah. know what I'm saying, right? We, we want to we be in this together, uh, and it'll be a valuable time if we're doing the
1: homework. So, a can of Pringles. Uh, feel free to I know you're going to be
0: a part of that, and I'm ready to be a part of that. Uh, the folks are going to be up here with the slips. so you can grab them after we what will be the time today. Uh, any questions on that before we pray and then jump back to the Gospel call. So we've kind of gone through all those different components of the gospel: the sinfulness of sin, Christ's judgment, uh, the um, the atonement, the resurrection, the ascension. Um, we talked about the gospel call. So really, we have the components of the gospel. Now, each one of those, we could have spent way more time, drilled down
1: deeper, and that's what we want to do. And really,
0: if you think about it, really, this class is just to give you can do a foretaste and some some starting point for meditating on the gospel keep coming back to the gospel as Christians, because that's, that's the soil um, where we grow roots deeper in our Christian um, life. Uh, and kind of to that end, what I want to focus on this morning is, let's call it the Gospel-rooted life. Uh, really, it's very much in line with the whole uh, design of this series. And that is, what we want to focus on is, how did the Gospel change the whole daily life? Uh, and we kind of started this way, uh, way back at the beginning. our first session, we talked about some of these ideas, but now since we've gone through those different components, uh, we kind of want to think about just that idea again. Uh, Since we've seen all these wondrous aspects of the gospel, how does the gospel change the whole of daily life? So when we get up Monday morning after church and we have to go to work or we have to do whatever, how does the gospel change that life? Um, So let's just open that up for for y'all to start with. Um, what what, what would be some answers you would give of how the gospel every time. before him saving us, we live for ourselves. And it also implies that what Christ has done um, is transitioning out of that living for ourselves, and what? Living for him. Which is a fundamental shift in our identity and our who we are. And that's how I characterize this. This is, this is an identity shift. The gospel brings about not just a forensic justification in heaven, it does that, but then the implications of that for personal transformation. You can say sanctification, right? It's transitioning us from living for ourselves
1: to living for Christ.
0: Even for people who are uh, in the natural state, they live for themselves, right? They are self-autonomous, or at least they think they are, right? They think they have the authority over their own lives. We all think that way naturally, right? And they live out of that identity, right? But here, what Thank By faith, right? uh, I, I, can see this. I love Galatians 2.20 because it's Paul being very individualistic uh, of saying, yeah, I'm trusting myself to the one who loves me. Our name, in my name, if you're in Christ, to the cross. And uh, if we meditate on that, we think about that, it's a whole new identity and it's a whole, it. it like Steve said earlier, it warms our hearts and our affections um, with love and uh, and you're like, well, of course. Why wouldn't I live for this this great Savior who has loved me? Susan, were you going to say something? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> That's great. Any other thoughts on along that line? So, really, what we're talking about this the gospel changes our identity, our understanding that we're united with Christ, that we're in Christ. That is our new identity, uh, which we live out our identity. So, if we understand that as our identity, we live out of that. Any other questions, comments?
1: Mm-hmm. But when you understand the fallacy of that, then you will die to it. In other words, you learn the lesson, you'll die to it, and now you will truly understand the grace of God. And you yeah. The
0: grace of God. Yeah. He's really commenting that idea of legalism, that um, everyone naturally is going to—God's law is—we're well, going to actually talk about that in Matthew today. God's law is, uh, is universal. It's good in and of itself. But then what humans do with that law, they try to appropriate it and say, all right, I'm going to earn my relationship with God. Uh, that's how God's going to be pleased with me. Uh, but then if you, you try to use the law in that way, it brings you to the end of yourself and, and shows you, uh, it points you to Christ. It's not that the law was bad. It's just that it, it's, it's leading you, if you misused it, to Christ and to faith. And the necessity of I'm dying with Christ, I'm living with Christ. It changes your whole identity, so. Yeah, 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 right, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you can't rely on the law. Christ did, acted before you acted, yeah. All right, let's, so I want to transition this, so what, those two verses, I think, uh, and it's not just those two verses, you see it all over the New Testament, but those two verses highlight in an amazing way uh, the change in identity, the change in identity that we have because of the gospel and how it changes us. Let's transition now to kind of another category, and I'll take you—actually, it connects with what we were just talking about—let's uh, talk, uh, uh, go to Titus 2, um, Titus 2, 11 through 14— Someone go ahead and read Titus 2:11 through 14 when they have it. Fourteen.
1: Who himself to good.
0: Uh, what does uh, so? We see salvation there at the very beginning. But then what we want to focus on is what does this salvation produce? How does it change um, g- change those who take in the salvation of the gospel? Yeah, we become, become zealous for good deeds. Um, yeah, how else, what else does he say? Um, yeah, redeems us from all lawlessness. Steve? Purifies us, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It trains us. I like that language, right? The, the gospel trains us, really, uh, for godly living. You could say it like that. Uh, or obedience. You could put it in those terms. The gospel trains us for obedience. Uh, when we see, and we were already kind of talking about it in our idea of identity, right, if we see the love for Christ that Christ has had for us in the gospel, we meditate on those truths, then that fuels and trains our obedience. Because we understand that Christ didn't just die to give me a righteous standing, he did do that, but he also died to bring me to holiness, right? He died to uh, rescue me from living for myself to living for him and uh, living for God. And, um, and we see that. So, so that idea of obedience, the gospel trains us for obedience. You know the thoughts on, on at least Titus 2 and how it shows that.
1: mm-hmm
0: so glory mm-hmm this is for yeah good for his glory. yeah 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 he's he's doing this for himself he's purifying for himself a people um so this brings glory to God right because it no one can do this except God himself, so God's demonstrating his power and redeeming people through the gospel. And remember what we said about the gospel, the good of the good news is that it brings us to God. So when God glorifies himself through that, that is our good, because we delight, we are designed to be satisfied in God's glory, right? So him glorifying himself is actually our good at the same time, because we're we're seeing his glory, his worth, His uh, all of who he is, and once we see that, we delight in it, we delight in him, right? So it's that... The coming together of God glorifying Himself—that's not just like, "Oh, I'm I'm doing it to the exclusion of your good." No, Him glorifying Himself is our ultimate good because we we get to see that, we get to enjoy that, we get to be satisfied in it, which is what we were designed to be as creatures. So, yeah, good. Uh, let's uh, along the same line, the gospel training us for obedience. Um, let me go ahead and um, we could another key passage we could go to. I think for time we won't, but. Um, would be Romans six one through fourteen. It's just a, a long section, but maybe jot that down and look at it later. Uh, we'll see how, what kind of time we have. But uh, that's that's another key passage where it shows. Here's all of what Christ has done. You've died with Christ. You've raised with Christ. Uh, the, reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Um, so because of what has happened in the gospel. Uh, that means you don't have to sin anymore. That means that you are able to be obedient. Uh, but the other aspect that I really want, sometimes we miss this aspect of it, the, only, the, the other piece of the gospel uh, that we maybe don't even emphasize as much is the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, we even see that a lot in the New Testament that Christ, through his death and resurrection, uh, purchased the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? Which is why we can obey. Uh, I'll take you back to Ezekiel which is and bring you to back to one of the statements of the new covenant and I can't remember uh, i'm sure in 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 sermons I've done this if we haven't done it in here as well um, but ezekiel thirty six um, thirty six twenty five through twenty seven this is one of the statements of the New Covenant now just to put things in context a little bit Ezekiel it's all about God's presence the God's presence departs from Israel at the beginning of Ezekiel and at the end of Ezekiel you got this temple and God's presence comes again and uh, so what we actually see in Ezekiel 36 in areas like that it's talking about the restoration first and foremost of Israel uh, but then by extension and we know um, through uh, through even Isaiah and other texts in the New Testament obviously this is going to be extended to uh, the, the blessings of the new covenant are going to be extended to Gentiles. So, but what we see here in Ezekiel 36, uh, 25 through 27, is one of those key statements of what the new covenant is going to be like. So someone go ahead and read that uh, for us. Yeah, so um, we see, we see uh, what, what um, say, Deuteronomy and Jeremiah would call circumcision of heart, uh, cl- cleansing, uh, inward uh, cleansing, inward replacement of a heart of stone, uh, and replacement with a heart of flesh. How does that happen? It happens through the Spirit, uh, the indwelling Spirit. And notice what the Spirit is doing here. What does the Spirit do? Yeah, causes us to obey. Uh, it's it's um, it's it's for the purpose of sanctification, right? Uh, so when we think about how the gospel trains us for obedience, think of Titus two, what we just said. Uh, so we've got this new identity. This new identity. Uh, we want to live for Christ. We want we want to obey. How can we obey? We can obey through the Spirit, right? Um, th- so it's not just that. Yes, I I love what Christ has done for me. I, I want to live for Him. That is true but then it's also, we have the power coupled with that desire, right? The power coupled with that desire. Uh, You can say it like this, right? That if you were to think about, uh, and I'm borrowing an illustration from Jerry Bridges' book, uh, Bookends of the Christian Life. If you were to think about the bookends, two bookends of the Christian life. One is Christ's righteousness, that he is righteous in our place. So we know our standing is righteous before God. But the other bookend is the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are transformed and we, we, we obey and we obey by the power of the Holy Spirit increasingly in our lives. And questions um, or other thoughts on that? And linked with that idea, it, you actually see that idea brought up again in the New Testament uh, in relation to the Spirit. Turn to Romans 8. Romans 8, and I'll go ahead and read this one, I'll start from verse 1, but what I want to focus on is what's communicated in verses 3 through 4, okay, so uh, Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, again, in Christ Jesus, that's our union with Christ. There's no condemnation, no legal condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So he's alluding to that reality of the the new covenant. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. So we don't have condemnation because Sin was condemned in the flesh of Christ. Now, catch this in verse 4. In order that, purpose statement, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. As you notice here, it's this idea of obedience again. The righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh. Right in our own power, that legalistic tendency, but according to the Spirit. So there's still obedience to the law, but now just in a line with what Ezekiel already said about the reality of the new covenant, it is an obedience by the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit in in our life, um, and that's a new covenant reality. So that uh, not only do I have the motivation from seeing what Christ has done for me, but I also have this power to live uh, increasingly, right? Not perfectly, but increasingly a holy life um, because I love the Lord and he has given me the power of the indwelling spirit in my life to obey him, to come. Yeah, it's both and, right? So uh, God's command is still there, right? Because it's rooted in his character. We can't enter God's presence uh, without... um, uh, righteousness now we have the imputed righteousness of christ right but that's not that also produces in us real righteousness we've been seeing that in matthew right and it's it's both and that it's a have to and it's a want to right it's a have to and it's a want to all together empowered by god's spirit indwelling us right that's that's the miracle of the holy spirit that he's working in us empowering us so what does this look like in life right um it, it, it gets, it gets really nitty gritty on, there's two sides of it. One side of it, you could say, ooh, I, I want, I know what I should do, but I really want to not do what I should do. Uh, I want to go after sin, or I, I want to be apathetic, or whatever it is, but I know this is what God wants me to do. Um, so I am going to purpose to do what God wants me to do because of what Christ has already done for me, but then I'm not just doing that, I'm not just gritting my teeth and going. Um, I'm also at the same time praying. I'm praying, Holy Spirit, I know that you indwell within me. I know that your purpose is to cause me to obey God's word. Would you change my desires, and would you empower me in this purpose for good, to obey God, to obey his law um, that I want to do, right? And you're praying the reality of the new covenant. God has promised that reality for new covenant believers, and you're relying on that. You're praying in accord with those promises to actually be obedient and to grow in the Christian life. Questions or comments on it? This is critical, this idea, because we gloss over that sometimes when we think about the gospel. It's like, well, I'm justified, I'm good to go. Well, yes, but the gospel also means you're going to be transformed, and he's given you the Holy Spirit so that you can be transformed, right? Which is critical, and if we miss that, we're uh, missing—if we're not reliant on that, we're really missing— uh, we're going to have a stunted Christian life, let's put it that way. Uh, questions or comments on, on that reality? Eden first, and then we'll go Steve. Romans talks about justification, sanctification, and glorification. Mm-hmm.
1: So much, we stop at justification. Yeah. Sometimes sanctification hurts, so we
0: shy away from that. Mm-hmm. And then glorification
1: is so far in
0: the future. Out right. of our grasp. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so it's easy to just land on justification, which is there, right? We are, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but then there's the other parts of the package deal of salvation, right? Um, the, the sanctification, the increasing holiness that God has called us to, and then in future, glorification, perfect holiness, perfect righteousness um, that we have to look forward to. Steve. Yeah. Galatians uh, 5, in the, the fruits of the Spirit and the works of the flesh, uh, you see that dynamic, right? The uh, the flesh is at war with the Spirit, and the Spirit is at war with the flesh. These are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I think that's a double-sided thing, right? The flesh wants to do something, the Spirit wants to do something, but um, if you are led by the Spirit, right, you... you, you you are aware and are submitted to that new covenant reality, right, you will certainly not, it's emphatic in the Greek, you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh, right? And that's part of the good news of the gospel, is that we've not only, um, uh, we're not only uh, have a correct position in God's eyes, but we have a increasing righteousness in our lives. Yeah, Tony.
1: Don't think like the struggle with flesh, sin, all this is a mistake. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, just, oh, God made something Why Where did that come from? Right. God created this whole context, so I look at it in three phases. First phase is creation. Right. Yep. it's not going to be compelled and so that's the story of you know the simple story of the structure of God so one of the things that I always try to remember is no accident mm-hmm. this is God's context he created this context to ultimately glorify himself by showing how he can take the spiritual and control this physical creation Right. An incredible
0: thing yeah and And ultimately, that that rescue is it unites the two, right? So in that glorified state, there's um, you have people delighting in who God is from the heart because He did that, um, and then it impacts all of their uh, corporeal actions too, and what they are in a new heavens and a new earth, and enjoying God, enjoying obeying His law, um, enjoying um, uh, having fellowship with Him. Um, Yeah. Okay. are we at? Okay, let's uh, go ahead um, and go to key, uh, and it's, it ties in with some, something we've already had, um, another key idea as we think about how the gospel changes life. What we said is, right, um, God had a law, and again, we'll talk about this in the sermon this morning, God had law pre-fall. God had law pre-fall, but what? So the law is always good. It's rooted in God's eternal moral character. Um, But what happens is post-fall, man seeks to appropriate the law and says, "All right, that's how I'm going to be good in God's eyes. If I obey God's law, that's how I'm going to be good in God's eyes. That's how I'm going to have a relation, rather than relying on God to create that relationship." Right? We call that legalism. but that le- And I would argue that everyone, without exception, who's born, uh, has embedded within them that legal mindset. They don't love the law, they just use the law as a tool uh, to either be right in God's eyes, or they realize, I can't do it. God has this law, uh, but I can't, I can't live up to that, so I'm not going to even try. Uh, I'm going to make my own law, I'm going to try to make my own world... Or I'm going to try to live it up, right? I'm going to try to, try to live it up. So um, the reality, though, is since we battle our fleshly tendencies still as believers, it's been dealt a death blow, and yet we still battle that. The reality is we're going to battle that legal mindset also. We're going to battle that legal mindset also. What does that look like? Well, um, and again, I'm borrowing from Uh, Jerry Bridges' book, uh, Bookends of the Christian Life, which is just really helpful in navigating a lot of these things. Um, We're going to battle this thought. As believers, and this is what I think Paul is addressing in Galatians, he's talking to believers in Galatians, but they slipped back into this legal mindset. And that legal mindset essentially says this, my performance determines the status of my relationship with God. My performance determines the status of my relationship with God. That's legalism. That's the legal mindset. My performance determines the status of my relationship with God. And then there's two things that happen. What happens when you think you can live up to God's standard and, you know, oh, I have a good status with God because my performance is good. If you believe that that's true, I'm doing pretty good, my performance is good, therefore my relationship with God is good, what do you become if you believe that? Pride, yeah? Uh, what are other words that we might use? Boastful, arrogant, self reliance, uh, self righteousness, right? Um, so that's the fruit of a legal mindset, right? Uh, on, on one side of the coin, that's a fruit of a legal mindset. If I believe that my performance is good, therefore my status with God is good, you know, I did my quiet times today, I did my prayers, uh, I shared the gospel with five people therefore, God must be pleased with me. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like, right? Uh, And then if that persists, right, you you end up in a boastful, uh, a self-reliant, a self-righteous attitude, okay? On the flip side, what if you believe that, you still believe my performance determines the status of my relationship with God, but you realize you're honest in a sense, uh, I can't. My performance is... terrible. (laughs) Uh, I didn't love people as I should. Uh, I thought evil thoughts of this person. Uh, you know, any number of things that we could, could think about, but you start seeing, uh, the reality, right? The, the self-righteous person is self-deceived in a sense, right? They think they've actually obeyed and have good performance, so they don't. But then the flip side is someone is kind of sort of honest and says, my performance is not good. Uh, maybe it can look like this, right? Um, I've just sinned, um, and I need to make it up. I need to clean myself up before I know God will love me again, right? Uh, That is a temptation for uh, a Christian, right? The first is self-righteousness, right? That's that mindset, like, I can do it, therefore uh, I'm good. And it produces pride, self-righteousness, self-reliance. The flip side, you have the same mindset, but then you say, I can't do it, right? Right? Uh, you end up in a what we could call persistent guilt, right? You end up you're still on the performance treadmill, but you're in a persistent guilty mindset, right? And I think for me personally, the way I've seen it manifest itself in my my life, and um, I'm sure some of you can attest to this as well, that uh, when I'm focused in that way, then I uh, I see all the ways I fall short, and then I I'm I'm saying I have to clean myself up before God loves me, right? but that's legalism. Even as a Christian, I can slip into that mindset. Uh, it's the same mindset. It's the same legal mindset. It's just two flip sides of the same, co- um, the same coin, okay? So, to help um, us deal with those, right? And um, we encounter them. We do. Um, in our Christian life, how do, we, how do we deal with that, right? What is the gospel-rooted life? Because the gospel-rooted life deals with legalism, How do we deal with that as Christians who are struggling either with self-righteousness or persistent guilt? Uh, Turn over to uh, Philippians Uh, Philippians 3, uh, 2 through 11. Someone go ahead and read Philippians... 3, 2 through 11. So Paul is really, I think he's speaking against the same group of kind of folks that happen, that were encountered in Galatia, right? Those, those who um, want to put boast in the flesh, which is really that performance mindset. But what does he say for himself? Like he says, I could boast in those things. I could look at my performance. But what does he do over against that? Yeah, those things are rubbish. They don't matter, right? They have no merit before God. um, So there's that aspect of it. What else? Yeah. Good. Yeah. So knowing Christ, and in knowing Christ, what also are you knowing? Yeah. Yes. Right. So it's that one bookend that we're talking about, right? When you uh, you are tempted, you're looking at yourself and you're like, "Yeah, I'm pretty good. and I'm doing pretty well," right? But you have to. Re- that's when you need to be humbled, right? And realize, uh, no, actually, my uh, my works have no merit at all uh, to earn me a relationship with God. Um, They're actually garbage in regard to the way Paul is talking about it, and the only righteousness that gives me standing before God at all is Christ's righteousness, right? And that's what we do when we sin, right? We sin. We do acknowledge our sin. um, Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. We we see our uh, the, when we look at Christ, we should be humbled. In fact, I was, you know, Philippians two one through eleven, right? That big section of here's Christ's humility that should crush your your pride because this is what Christ needed to do in order to give you righteous standing before God. Right? You come back to Christ's righteousness uh, that would devastate your and what it took for Christ to impute that righteousness to you. Uh, which should devastate your self-righteousness. Uh, another way to, you know, fight self-righteousness is just to look at God's holiness, right? Meditating on God's holiness, His perfection, right? And you're going to say, and you're going to claim that um, uh, you, you, you've made it, right? That you've pleased God by your own merits, right? Uh, that, so that is a couple different ways of dealing with self-righteousness. But ultimately, you, you see, uh, no, it's only Christ's righteousness that gets me any access to the Father. On the flip side, persistent guilt, right? Uh, and and this is real. I don't know how many of you have experienced this, right? But you get into this spiral of where all you can do is look at yourself and your performance, and it's terrible, it's awful, uh, and you just feel like God could never love me. I can't, I can't come before Him. I can't, um, I can't do anything until I clean myself up. I think a good, um, I mean, there are many verses and things we could go to, but we could go to Romans eight. And I love this. In fact, uh, friends uh, who I would be struggling and in this kind of spiral of looking at myself and my own performance, I remember uh, a friend um, taking me to Romans 8, um, 31 uh, through 34. Someone go ahead and read Romans 8, 31 through 34. So essentially when you're a believer and you're in this cycle of persistent guilt, you're essentially doing what he's talking about here. Who shall condemn us, right? You can't even condemn yourself because of who, what Christ has done, right? The reality of who he is, of uh, him being given as an atonement, him being as intercessor, as righteous intercessor between uh, the, uh, the Father and me uh, as a believer— Right, uh, I can't be condemned because God already justified me. Right, and you hear those words, and what are you doing? You're not, you're not, you're not just saying, "Oh, my, my sin doesn't matter." That's not what you're saying, but you're saying that I know I can't deal with my sin on myself. I can't be sorry enough. I can't mourn enough. I can't, I can't, I can't do. Uh, I can't clean myself up. Only Christ can clean me up. And based on him, he is outside of me. He is objective. He is in the heavenly places, back to the ascension, right? He's seated at the right hand of God. He's interceding for me, uh, even when I'm not interceding for myself, in a sense, right? Um, he's interceding for me as the perfect high priest, right? And that uh, you're, you're looking at Christ. You're looking at his righteousness again. Um, you're looking at your status, your identity of union with Christ, and that helps you break out of persistent guilt. That doesn't mean you don't deal with your sin, right? You say, I've done wrong here. I am grieved. I'm grieved not because I broke my own standard, but because I broke God's standard. And here are the steps I need to change to, to grow. And I'm dependent on the Holy Spirit, back to what we said earlier, to grow. But uh, what's your starting point? Your starting point is not your performance. Your starting point is Christ and who he is for you, um, which is, I think, one of the key things you see in Romans Romans 8, um, 31 through 34 here. And there are other places we could go as well. 1 John 2, 1 through 2 is another key text in that regard. So, we're running late. Oh, yeah, uh, Patricia, real quick. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Our heart is deceitful and we can't, we, we get into, we feel bad, right, and uh, we are, you know, whether it's our conscience um, as part of that or whatever, right, um, and we, we kind of revert to the way we, we used to deal with things, right, before Christ, the way we used to deal with things is how can I have better performance so I feel better about myself or, you know, God feels better about me, Um uh, rather than start with Christ, start with who He is, and then out of that you fuel your obedience. Right? There's always a movement from starting with Christ, starting with the relationship that God has given by grace through faith, and moving out of that to obedience and to change. Um, yeah. All right, we're we're over time, so let's uh, go ahead and pray. If you have questions, comments on this, um, hopefully those those things are helpful to you as you walk uh, this week. Uh, and think about how the gospel changes you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've changed our identity, uh, that we don't live for ourselves, but we live for you. Uh, We thank you that you've given us the ability to obey through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we pray that you would help us to grow in obedience this week. Uh, Lord, we thank you even in that we can fight temptation. We don't have to give in because of our identity in you. And we thank you, O oh Lord God, that we don't have to have the legal mindset anymore to think that my performance um, regulates my standing before God. It's it's you, Christ, and who you are, your atonement, your righteousness. And even when we sin, yes, you are grieved, but you You do not disown us as children. You, We are still yours, and Christ, you intercede for us, and we thank you for that. We pray that all these truths would help us to walk faithfully in the gospel. I pray for these folks this week that As they battle sin, as they uh, fight against a performance mentality um, in in their, their relationship with you, pray that you would strengthen them, that you would remind them of these truths and they would see you, Lord Christ, and they would love you and be anchored in you above all. We pray for our gathering this morning. Pray that you would be honored and glorified, Lord Jesus, as you've redeemed a people for yourself, as Titus 2 talked about. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.